0: Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with Him is abundant redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Let's pray once again. Father, we pray that You would deliver us from all that would hinder, all that would distract, all that would would run counter to Your Word here this evening. We pray that You would allow us To understand, receive, and heed your word. By thy spirit we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this psalm is called a song of ascents. A song of ascent. And that is a little subtitle there uh, that actually goes with a group of psalms that start back at Psalm 120. you, You see it there, A Song of Ascent. And then all of these psalms through this section clear to Psalm 134 are titled that. Now, it's not absolutely certain what that means, but it's probable that this had to do with psalms that were used by the Jewish people on their way up to Jerusalem for various (laughs) holy days. Uh, The idea is that this ascent is means they were on their way up to uh Jerusalem. And as they walked up the hillsides that led to the city they sang this collection of, of Psalms uh, from 120 to 134. They're all short, they would be be easy to uh remember and recite. So that's the concept or the idea that seems most probable as to why these were called Uh, by this name Um, this particular psalm I think is teaching the lesson that the way up is down the way up to God's temple and to God's presence is actually down that is to say humility and recognizing our need so That's the setting for this psalm, and it's a psalm that helps us realize our sinfulness and our helplessness apart from God's intervention in our lives. But it's also a psalm that helps us realize that God actually delights to save those who call upon him and who will put their trust and hope in Him. I think it's good to note just the psalmist's emphasis on the gracious character of God. For instance, in verse 4, you see that he says, There is forgiveness with thee. So, with God there's forgiveness. Verse 7 O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. So with the Lord there's forgiveness, there's loving kindness. And then you see again in the latter part of verse 7, And with Him is abundant redemption. So with God there's forgiveness. With God there's loving kindness. With God there's abundant redemption. And the the theme is that God desires to deliver us out of the depths. He will deliver those who call upon him, and this brings glory to his name. One way or another, every true believer is someone who God has delivered out of the depths. Um, you might... Remember that John Newton entitled his um, autobiography, Out of the Depths. There's actually been, I know, at least, of, at least one other auto or biography. I don't think it was an autobiography, <coughs> but a biography that was named Out of the Depths. And it had to do with a man named Henry Milan. So let me just, just as kind of a way of, of realizing that this theme is really a theme for every Christian... Uh, just mention these two men Uh, tell you briefly about their lives is Henry Milan was a newspaper editor in New York City that is he was a newspaper editor until he began to drink and eventually alcohol consumed him and he lost his job and his money and his reputation and his family and his friends and he just kept going down and down and down into the depths, uh, until he was a uh, drunk in the gutters of New York City. He went to various doctors and uh, people who would try to help him, but eventually they all gave him up, gave a, gave him up as a helpless, hopeless drunk. Except for the Salvation Army, who uh, organized what they used to call boozers conventions, which meant they would go out on the streets and drag in any drunk they could well they'd invite them, but if they if some of them they literally, literally drug in and uh, he this Henry Millin was one that came to one of these boozers conventions and In that setting, in that situation, God pulled him out of his sin and brought him out of the depths and set his feet upon the rock. So that was one man. John Newton is, of course, more well known, and you probably, I'm sure most of you know the story. Uh, The man who wrote Amazing Grace before he wrote that was a slave trader. Captain of a slave ship, uh, by his own words, an infidel, a blasphemer. And uh, in fact, he said he wasn't content with common curses and blasphemies, but he would daily invent new ones. He was a vile man in a vile trade. But on March 9th, 1748, in the midst of a violent storm at sea, he cried to the Lord. He almost was drowned. God saved him, and later on saved his soul, and he went on to preach the gospel and write that song, Amazing Grace, and he also wrote an autobiography titled, Out of the Depths. So it's a good, it's a good way of viewing what God has done for us. He's brought us out of the depths. Um... Now, I think this psalm actually can be divided into four sections with two verses in each section. The first two verses, 1 and 2, are a cry for help from the depths of despair. Verses 3 and 4 are, speak of trust in the forgiveness of God. Verses 5 and 6 speak of a hopeful waiting upon God, and seven and eight, a desire for others to hope in God. So uh, that's just a simple, very simple outline. But first of all, then, the first two verses, a cry for help from the depths of despair. Now that idea of depths here, it's a word that speaks of deep affliction, dejection, distress, and it could speak of things like affliction, the depths of sorrow, loss of friends, fa- uh, family property, bodily suffering. It could speak of emotional turmoil, darkness of mind, things like that, even depression. Uh, and God does use those things sometimes in a person's life. He sometimes allows crises in our lives so that we will call out to him in those situations. Psalm 50. Verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. So that could be what is being spoken of here, but I think really the the depths that he's speaking of has to do with sin. The depths that we can be plunged into by our sin and by our, our awareness of our guilt before God. Um, And the reason that I say that is because that's what he goes on to mention in the psalm. If thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, who could stand? And then in the the last verse, uh, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So I think he's mainly speaking here of the depths of sin that God can deliver us from. What we have here in these first two verses is a heartfelt cry for deliverance from a person who realizes he cannot save himself. He's in over his head. He's in the depths. He's in over his head in, in sin. And I think that this is a thing that we have to realize if we're ever going to be saved, and that is we're in over our heads. We have to get to the end of ourselves before we really cry out to God. As long as we think we can still handle things, even handle our sin, we're not going to cry out to God for help. But if we are at the end of our rope, we're at the beginning of God's redemption if we'll cry out to Him. Now, it's not just cry. A lot of people cry because of their sin. But this psalmist said he cried to the lord he made his supplication to god that's a different thing than just crying now again we don't like to be brought to that position but as one person said it is better to be in the depths praying than on the heights playing uh, people like to think that they just like to be happy and healthy and wealthy and on the top of the mountain. But it's, it's actually better to be down in the depths praying than it is to be up there playing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. A broken and a contrite heart God will not despise. So it doesn't matter how low in sin you are an honest, heartfelt cry to God will be heard in heaven. These verses should remind us, as we read through this psalm, that there are no hopeless cases with God. One preacher, G. Campbell Morgan, said, Nobody who has seen the cross of Christ can ever again speak of hopeless cases. So we can have hope, but the way of hope lies through the door of confession and openness before God, being real with God. Which brings me to the next section. This first section basically is just a cry, a cry for help. To the Lord. But the next section is trust in the forgiveness of God. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. The psalmist is basically saying here, my sins can and will separate me from God. And they do separate me from God unless they're dealt with. And there's only one thing that can permanently separate you and I from God and from hope. And that's unrepented sin. Refusing to face our own sin and refusing to let God deal with our sins. What keeps us from hope and from God's help is simply refusing to acknowledge our sin. If we do have any true conviction of our sin and a Christian, you can't become a Christian without that. We know the reality of what the psalmist says here. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, who could stand? If he should decide to judge us as we are in our sin... We have no hope of standing before Him, before God. Our only hope is that God is a forgiving God. There's no other way we could come before Him. Unless God's a forgiving God, there's no way that you or I or anyone else could come before Him. If He should mark iniquity, who could stand? No one is the answer to that. But He is Forgiving God, He revealed Himself to His people that way. You think of, uh, I think, especially of Moses there on Mount Sinai, Exodus 34 6. Then the Lord passed by in front of Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity transgression, and sin. It's like you want to make sure you, got, you, you, you understood it covers the whole ground. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. So God is a forgiving God. He's a pardoning God. And that's our only basis of hope. When we come before God... Our hope is not that we can somehow justify ourselves or make ourselves right before God. Not that we can prove somehow that we haven't sinned very much or as much as somebody else. Not that we can explain our sins away. Not that we can offer some kind of an apology for them. It's only our only hope is in this. And God's a forgiving God. He's willing to forgive those who will come and acknowledge their sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is forgiveness with him. See, the psalmist says there is forgiveness with him. With this God, with the true God, there is forgiveness. And he adds this, that he may be feared. You know, at first glance, you think, is that some kind of a contradiction that God would forgive and that makes us really uh, fear Him? Well, I think, no, it's not a contradiction at all. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing to someone who knows the depths of their sin. It's a wonderful thing. Now, if, if you don't see your sin, then forgiveness doesn't mean very much to you. But if you've seen something of your sin, then you're full of wonder that He would forgive you. So the wonder of God's forgiveness brings with it awe and reverence and devotion. And really, I think it's true that the only people who have a a proper fear of God are forgiven people. They've seen something of the terrible nature of sin... And of God, the forgiving nature of God. The true nature of God. And they've seen something of the great lengths that God will go to forgive sin. The psalmist knew it took bloody sacrifices for their sins to be forgiven but they people in the old covenant didn't realize that the ultimate and only true sacrifice would be God's own son so I say really how much more should we in the new covenant reverence the one who has forgiven us through the death of his son There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. So, trust in the forgiveness of God was the second portion. But then the next two verses, 5 and 6, a confident waiting upon God. That's what's brought out in these verses. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. Just as the watchman has an expectation of the morning soon coming, he's watching for it. We have a confident expectation as we wait upon the Lord, a trusting in Him for deliverance from sin. Though we're saved from the penalty of sin the moment we truly believe and trust in his promises. Deliverance from the power of sin involves an ongoing reliance on his promises and his purpose. It's a continual waiting upon God day by day for continual deliverance from the actual power of sin in this life. And not only that, the ultimate purpose of God to make us Totally conform to the image of Christ. We're waiting for that yet too. Um, when this world is done, and God there's a dawning of a new day, um, we know that we will be made like Christ completely and we should have this confident hope that the psalmist is talking about here in a daily deliverance and the ultimate deliverance that comes when Christ comes again. The path of the just is as a shining light that shines more and more until the perfect day. And that's, uh, I think it's true, you could say the path, path of the justified is as a shining light that shines more and more until the perfect day. So, we're waiting for the dawning of a bright and glorious day as Christians. We should always, in our hearts, have this, this confident expectation that those He justifies, He sanctifies, and will glorify on that day so the last two verses in verse 7 and 8 if these previous things are realities to us what the psalmist has spoken about if they're realities in our lives there will be a desire to see others hope in God This he kind of turns from what he's saying concerning his own sin and recognizing the forgiveness of God and waiting upon God for daily deliverance and ultimate deliverance, then he turns and says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So a desire to see others, hope in God that downtrodden brother, that discouraged sister, that dejected saint, needs to hear and be reminded, O Israel, hope in the Lord. And we should be doing that for one another. Because at various times, we're all in somewhat of a position of needing to hear that just that truth right there. With Him... For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption. We need to hear that throughout our lives as Christians. I like that, don't you? Abundant redemption. Not just redemption, but abundant redemption. So, others, other Christians, other brothers and sisters need to hear hear that. But lost sinners need to hear this also. If you are a Christian, you can speak from personal experience. That's what the psalmist was doing here, you see. He's talking about how, what God had done in his heart, and then he turns and says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. If you're a Christian, you can speak from personal experience. God rescues people out of the depths. That's what You just can go to people and say, listen, if you're in the depths, I can tell you how to get out, because I was there. God rescues people out of the depths. He forgives men and women. Why does he forgive? Well, because of his great loving kindness. How does he forgive? Through the abundant redemption that's found in his Son. What does he forgive? says, all iniquities he will redeem israel from all his iniquities so we should want people to hear about this good news that there is a forgiving god that god is a forgiving god if we cry out to him and trust his promises and purposes you can be brought out of the depths. That's really good news for really bad people. I mean people who recognize they're bad and need a savior. Now, I mentioned John Newton before uh, as one who titled his book Out of the Depths. But uh, besides this song Amazing Grace that we all- always sing, he has another song that begins with this line. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. And that new object he was talking about was the cross of Christ. And I'll just close by saying that's the only way out of the depths to see what Christ has done for you. But if you see that, it'll bring you out of the depths. So that's just kind of a brief overview of this song A Song of Ascent.